Hey y'all, welcome to BA in Science. I'm Maggie, that's Brenna. Hi. And we can't wait to tell you all about two badass humans who also happen to be scientists. Guys, it's my favorite day of the season. It's Brawl Day. You're so excited. I'm so excited. I love, love Brawl Day, as y'all know, because a big part of it is that it serves to humanize scientists who maybe we otherwise don't think of being just like everybody else because these scientists that we cover on here are humans that's what we try to focus on and brawl day mm -hmm. is the perfect example because these people are petty they are jealous they are snotty it's wonderful <laughs> and i guess that we shouldn't say that we have two badass humans today we have one badass and one just bad guy who could have been in a ba yeah episode. so yeah like, you know you can't really consider him a BA, no. No, no, it's his own fault, as we will discuss. Yeah, that's true. So let's deal with some weekly business. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, wherever you're listening, especially if it's on iTunes, because that's how other people can find us, and you would not want to let everyone else in the world miss out on the awesomeness that is our podcast, because also it's free. Don't forget, like, rating costs you nothing, but it, like a click it's one click you can do it wherever you do listen also make sure that you favorite us so you get notified when a new episode is out of course we always post that kind of stuff on facebook and instagram at ba and science remember that our email address if you have something that we really need to know is ba and science at gmail.com also don't forget about patreon you can find a link to our patreon on facebook and instagram from time to time or you can just go to patreon and search ba and science when you become a patron of our show, you get some stuff. But the most important thing that you get if you subscribe at the highest level, which is not that much, it's less than $10, guys. It's a bargain. But you get extra episodes. And we are going to be releasing to you, non-Patreon listeners out there, a very special episode that our Patreon uh, listeners will be getting I don't know, the next couple of weeks or whatever. So we're going to let you listen to a sample episode from Patreon. So you know what you're missing out on. After you listen to it, you're going to want to go over there and subscribe right away. I'm telling you right now. It's pretty phenomenal. It's amazing. We have so much fun over there. Okay. So any addendums from last week when we talked about drunk brawling Mike? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Do we have any guesses for this week? I don't believe so. I don't think so. Even if people would have gotten one of them, there's no way they would have gotten the other one without like looking into it. Googling it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is okay. You can Google fine. and still yes, send us no, your... We don't have rules. And how are we going to know? You can be like, no, I just knew that. Like what, like I'm going to look at your Google history. That's for your FBI guy to do. Like that's none of my business. That's his business. So, okay. Since there are no addendums, I say, because we have a lot to cover, to, a lot to cover today. We should just get right into it because Brenna's got the bios and I have the brawl. So we're going to take a quick break and then make it happen. Sounds good. We've got two really big deal guys in the ring this week for our brawl. And you have a ton to cover. The sound editor is already sweating about deadlines. So just give us the quote. Let's just get into it. Okay. Tell us, well, tell us who our contenders are. Yeah. As usual, I've I've got a quote from both of them. So in one corner, we have a guy who urged, quote, 
a threatened civilization to do their utmost to prevent the further spread of this mass psychosis, which is expressing itself in Germany in such a terrible way. Oh, my. And in the other corner, we have a guy who said this about his nemesis. Just because a goat may reside in a stable, it does not make him a regal thoroughbred. Um, that's mean. So I'm I'm not going to lie. Like, sometimes I feel like we could kind of give credit to each of our brawlers, mm-hmm. you know, like, but we kind of side with one this one today i just look we're not gonna like contender number two right not we're just not not. we're just not you can just tell from the quote we're just not yep so yeah okay so today we're actually talking about a brawl that i was unaware of until you suggested it maggie yes and if you were thinking we are dealing with things related to nazi germany based on that first quote about the mass psychosis in germany you'd be right so today we are talking about Albert Einstein, who said that first quote. Yay. Wearing off against a dude named Philip Leonard. Boo. Said the thing about the goats and things. Yeah, we don't like him. We don't like him. No. So I will do biographies of Phil and Al, and then Maggie will talk about their science and their beef, which I mostly avoided when I researched. Okay, cool. So I don't really know a lot of it. And their beef is very sciencey. It's like very, I mean, it, it starts very sciencey and becomes very personal. Like, and just, you know, anti-Semitic and all that good stuff. Yeah. To say the least. Yeah. Okay. So I have a feeling y'all have heard about Albert Einstein in our teaser. We were like, guys, you a hundred percent know one of these people because he's like one of the most famous scientists ever, you know? Yes. And truthfully, he probably should have his own BA episode, which may happen at some point. So I'm going to pare down mostly for our sound editor's benefit. I'm going to pare down on his bio and stick to like the juiciest stuff I can find because that's what we love here. That's kind of why we're here. That's definitely why we're here. Um, And Phil is a big fat jerk. So, you know, we'll never talk about him after today. So. Correct. Let's start with Phil, I guess. Okay. So Philip Von Leonard, who I'm just calling Phil, Mm-hmm. Was born on June seventh, eighteen sixty-two, in what today is is Bratislava, okay. um, Slovakia. So mm-hmm. he's, you know, I have to say I'm not a big fan that he was born in. We're I, we're Slovak. We've said this before. We're Slovak. Like a, a large chunk of us is Slovak. I don't want to claim him. I instantly had bad feelings when you said he's Slovak because yeah, I, I was like, ooh, no, he's not. I know. Not. I mean, not the it good wasn't. Kind. It wasn't Bratislava, Slovakia at the time. I don't even remember. I didn't write down the name of the town or what, and, you know, it was part of whatever Slovakia was part of at the time, you know? Whatever that part of Slovakia was part of at the time. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so I feel like we don't necessarily have to claim him. Let's not. Okay. Because his family came from the Tyrol, which is the, um, like, it's in, Aust- that's in Austria. Yeah. You know, so they can have him, you know, yes. like, he doesn't parents, belong to that's, us. that's where his family came from. So we're, we're saying that he's. Austrian yeah. you know um his dad was a wine merchant and was also named Philip and his mom was Antoni Bauman okay I don't know I don't I don't know how they would have said her name Antoine I don't know his dad apparently remarried his wife's sister because I read he was raised by an aunt who subsequently married his father so that would feel like wife's sister if it was his aunt who then married his father right I worked that out properly that's his yeah and I don't like anything sister. about it yeah I mean but okay Joseph Lighty's dad did that didn't he marry like somebody his wife's first cousin or something 
I think so. Yes, I was trying to think of who it was because we yeah, like talked about Scott that. Remarried. And Lydie was not a dirtbag scum of the earth person. So I mean, you know, that's fair. But um, anyway, so he was homeschooled for a bit. Then he went to school around age nine, and he was always really into science. Like he would save up his money to go buy whatever science books he could afford. And then he set up a laboratory in the family garden, which I'm assuming when you say family garden, it just means the, like the yard. Cause they called their yards like the garden. Yeah. yeah. This was probably written by a British guy. I can't remember now. So big into science. So in high school, he like according, okay. So he had an autobiography, but it wasn't ever like published. It was like an unofficial autobiography thing. Okay. Okay. So I didn't read that, obviously, but the book, this was the um, the Man Who Stalked Einstein book. Mm-hmm. I know you yes. use that too. Yep. Um, it referenced things from his autobiography. So okay. according to his autobiography, he had a teacher named Virgil Klatt, who kind of took an interest in him and helped him conduct like a ton of experiments at a higher level than obviously what he could have done in his yard, backyard or whatever. Mm-hmm. So kind of like a mentor, you know, in high school to promote science and promote his interest or whatever okay okay so phil senior our phil's dad right really wanted phil jr to carry on the wine business and that's just really not what phil jr wanted to do so there's a lot of arguing whatever so their compromise was that he was going to attend a technical school in vienna and budapest and study mostly chemistry and especially the chemistry of wine i was going to say if you if you got to be a winemaker you can still be a scientist yeah um, so he did that, uh, then tried, tried out his hand, like being in the business and it's just, it's not a good fit. He's not feeling it. Uh, mostly I think Phil thought it was beneath him. Like Phil is going to think he's the top, you know what? And so I think it was like beneath him to have to like be just a, a merchant. He might've said some anti-Semitic things about it too. You know, like he said a lot of icky anti-Semitic things yeah. about I I generally didn't really try to include too much of that because I just don't even really, you know, like it. Okay. No, I mean, it's out there. If if you want to, if our listeners are more than welcome to go and research that themselves, but I don't think that we feel the need to repeat his. Most of it. Yeah. I mean, I might have like one or two things or whatever, but yeah, mostly I'm just, he was a terrible person. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Um, so he bided his time in 1883 after he had saved enough money he tried to get into the university of budapest like he was just going to send himself to school but he wasn't actually accepted so then robert bunsen like yeah the bunsen burner guy wow. took him in at heidelberg mm-hmm. okay so he ends up getting his degree in 1886 and then i did not write them all down because you guys to be honest i didn't care he basically spent like tons of his life like i don't know a decade 12 years a stupid amount of time job hopping like he was in budapest and then aachen and then bonn and then kiel and just blah 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 blah, like all these places he was never anywhere for more than like a year or two yeah which i mean probably because he was a jerk you know listen if somebody sees that on your linkedin you are not you're not a good hire uh i get suspicious if i'm looking i'll be honest i'm saying it's a suspicious thing and so we're just fast forwarding all the way to 1907. I know I spent, I'd like, I sped up. Actually, that's almost 20 years. Um, I'm just going to take a big hop because one, I don't like the dude. Two, who cares where he was? Because it's not really that important. And the sound editor will appreciate it. So love it. I love everything about it. 
1907, he's the head of the Institute of Physics at Heidelberg, mm -hmm. which would later be named, renamed the Philip Leonard Institute by the Nazis because, spoiler alert, the Nazis and Phil are going to be BFFs. We'll talk about it. Oh my goodness. Besties forever. Like, like, like he, he and Adolf, like, <laughs> lucky Hitler. Remember that apples to apples <laughs> I do, game? I do remember that apples to apples game. Hitler, uh, anyway. who was in fact not lucky, was he super was. good friends with Leonard, who was an absolute jerk. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in all those years, like I said, in between, he's just doing a lot of physics work. I'm not talking about it. That's when he's doing a lot of his science. But I need to mention that in 1901, a guy named Wilhelm Röntgen, or I just call Will because his last name's confusing and hard, um, he won the first Nobel Prize in physics for his discovery of x-rays. And I know you're going to talk more about Will, but just to give you a flavor of Phil, he was just really bitter about this. I know you'll talk about like what he said about it, but the beef with him and Will was to the extent that Will's Will said basically like destroy all my papers except lock up and keep safe my correspondence with like Phil. Mm -hmm. He's a total jerk and he's 100% going to try to rein in on my parade and steal my work or take credit for my work and stuff which spoiler alert phil totally tried to do that yeah, so i didn't um, read that part of it i didn't yeah. know about that part yeah and you know he also managed to have beef with marie curie oh my gosh which they didn't elaborate on that and also jj thompson jj thompson was another one who was doing similar work along mm -hmm. if, if you're a chemist person or, or physics you probably study jj thompson's experiments as well um and obviously our our buddy Al. So um not super likable, it feels like within the scientific community. And then the underlings who worked with him also really didn't seem to like him too much. And I'm assuming it's because he treated like them that he treated them like, you know, scum from the bottom of his shoes. He did. And I'm gonna talk about one that in fact that assist the assistant that started out being like, Oh, it's fine, and then it wasn't fine. Yeah, I'm going to talk yeah, about that okay, because cool. he is he is part of the pathway to the T. Okay, yeah. Tea. Yeah. I didn't I thought I figured you'd talk about him cuz yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, in 1905, Phil wins a Nobel Prize in Physics for some cathode ray experiments. Mm -hmm. And you'd think that that would, you know, get him to chill out, but nah, like he's still going to be a whiny brat about things. Yes. So, yeah. You'll you'll fill us in. On a more personal note about him, I think it was around uh, like 1896-ish. He had a temporary appointment at Heidelberg, mm -hmm. I think. Maybe it was, I, I don't know, wherever he was. But anyway, he basically was like, well, I have enough money. This is not a direct quote, but like in my head, it's like, well, I got enough money and I'm kind of financially stable. So I guess I should get a wife. It's probably exactly how he said it, though. So he, well, he wrote in his autobiography. Again, this is a, a source that quoted his autobiography, which wasn't published. There was an abundance of daughters of professors who were waiting to be married, but it soon became clear how I had to choose. So that's super romantic, and I love this so much for his future wife. No. Yeah, the faces we're making right now, guys, we are not, we are yeah. not a fan. Anyway, his wife ended up being um, Katharina or Kathy Schleiner. So... I literally saw her mentioned as his wife like one time and that was it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. Um, I'll talk a little bit here about his kids. They have a girl named Ruth in 1898 and a son named Werner in 1900. Mm 
So Werner was always kind of sick as a kid. He didn't get clearance to fight in the first war, World War One, right? Yeah. Um, which I think made Phil feel a bit ashamed because, okay, you got to remember, we talked about this with, um, oh my gosh, our first really terrible BS guy, Mengele. Mengele. Sorry. Yeah. Wow, guys. Sorry. I wanted to um, say Himmler and I knew that wasn't right. Yeah. He was another so, bad guy. But we talked about this in that episode, like, the German people are screwed up after the war. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying they, like, didn't deserve to lose the war, but, like, the way in which post-war Germany was handled probably wasn't great and probably laid a lot of groundwork for what happened. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's I partly actually... on kind of all the people that, you know, the Treaty of Versailles. Versailles, yeah. I'm um, going to talk about a little bit of that, too, because yeah. actually Phil had some really strong things to say about that. Yes. So um, his son not being able to fight in the war, I think, was probably like a a point of embarrassment for him. Okay. But the other thing besides physics that we know he really loved was Germany and, you know, the fatherland or whatever. Yes. Because he was one of those people who bought into all those lies about, like, the fatherland's the best and we got done dirty by everyone after the war and Jews are to blame for everything and all that. Like, he really puts all his eggs in that basket. All, literally yeah. every single egg he ever has goes in the into I hate Jews because we lost they the ruined Germany. Because of them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that is yeah. not what happened at all. And that's also all of our lives that are miserable since World War One because of the Jews. But that's pretty much kind of Yeah. yeah. That's where yeah. he lived. That's where he made his home. It's yeah, it's not great. It's icky. So we have that. But then Werner actually gets sick again after the war. He dies from malnutrition in 1922. And oh. I didn't find too much else about that. But I read that the, you know, like conditions weren't great. And for some reason, I guess the lack of food and the lack of nutrition actually hit the younger populations harder. So anyway, so Werner dies. So that's like sad point in his life. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, his da- daughter, Ruth, uh, was actually really smart, and she secretly qualified for uni, um, and she had to do it in secret because Phil was super against her going to university for some reason, probably because lady parts. Yep, I'm 100% sure it was a lady parts issue. Yeah, so, but good for Ruth for being smart and going behind his, you know, I don't normally advocate, like, going behind your dad's back, but you know what? I feel like this was a time to go behind your dad's back. If you're going to you know, go behind your- enough for school. Bye. If you're if you're gonna go behind your dad's back first, check and see if he, he's a Nazi. Is he a Nazi? Yes. Okay, then it's totally fine. Yeah. If he's not, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so the longer things go on after the war, and the worse Germany gets, because you know, then you hit the 30s and the depression hits everywhere. But then it's really going to impact just you know politically, mm-hmm. economically. It's just it's a bad time. It's a it bad is. time in Germany, okay? It is. Um, and again, he is someone that is just really, really getting into all that radical politics stuff, okay? And he really latches on to the idea that Jews are inferior um, and that their race means that they can't even think properly about things. Because he actually wrote a book called German Physics. Yes, he called it German physics. And he said, in reality, science, like everything man produces, is racially determined, determined by blood. Which Which comes down. Because that's gross. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, too, because part of the the brawl, like, he might not have fought so hard with Al 
had Al not been of Jewish descent. But that's mm-hmm. the thing. Al wasn't even a practicing Jew. Yeah, I'll tell yeah, I will talk about that okay, with Al. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to go too deep into this, but there was a guy named um Walter Rathnau and he was murdered. He was a Jewish guy, but he was part of the state government. So the Weimar Republic, which mm-hmm. was what all the radical people hated, was yes. like the new government established after the war, whatever. Yeah. Super unpopular, whatever. Okay, so after his assassination, the state orders, like, you lower the flags and close the labs and all the things for, like, a state funeral. Mm -hmm. And Phil's basically like, no, I'm not lowering the flag and I'm not giving students a day off because of a dead Jew. (gasps) Oh, no. Yeah. It actually turned into into a big to-do and, like, it was like an angry mob of students and workers at Heidelberg basically stormed the lab. Police had to take fill into custody more to protect him than anything and it was it was a big mess wow it was a big mess maybe though phil if you hadn't have been an anti-semitic jerk face you wouldn't have had this problem i'm just gonna say like you you can't incite people to riot and then be surprised that they're rioting i mean phil just like that is so that's how disgusting i'm sorry i just feel he just is a disgusting human being to me okay so yes i like i can't disagree this is one of those like he could have had his own bs episode because of how terrible he is yes absolutely he's on that he's on that level yes and again he he is going to take a lot of that anti-semitism out on the scientific community and i'm going to leave it at that as far as his career goes up to that point yes So I'm going to just kind of follow up with outside of his career, Phil's fantastic life. Uh, Let's just see where Phil goes. He starts following the National Socialism Party, which is the Nazis, right? Mm -hmm. National Socialism. And he was probably an early follower. Like they think as early as like the mid-1920s. He's really getting into that in terms of like the party itself okay which is like a point in his favor with the nazis because it wasn't he didn't jump on the bandwagon after hitler was pretty much like be a nazi or i'm gonna like beat you up he was like all in before that so that's yeah i could see how that would help him and he becomes friends with lovely people like goebbels hitler etc yeah Hitler actually wrote Phil several times, and I don't know if they were, like, pals or what, but, like, you know. They were were kind of pals. They were kind of pals. The fact that Phil bought in, though, and supported Hitler well before, like I said, just really kind of elevated him, especially for Hitler, Mm -hmm. because he was a a fan of Hitler before Hitler, you know, was running the show he's a hipster he liked hitler before he was popular yeah um and phil basically became a scientific advisor to hitler Mm -hmm. okay uh good for the world probably phil taught hitler that jews were knees deep in nuclear physics and hitler called nuclear physics jewish physics because of that so they were um behind in getting around to nuclear research is why it's probably good for the world they were behind in getting around to nuclear research because because phil basically convinced him like no that's jewish physics we don't want to get into that wow yeah which is partly why they probably didn't have an atomic bomb because spoiler alert a ton of super smart physicists that helped develop the atomic bombs were german or lived in that area and had left that area because they had jewish family exactly decided to gtfo out of germany before hitler could get to them 
So the US and the UK especially, right, benefited from the exodus of all those super smart physicists and, and scientists that got out because, you know, those Jewish physicists with their nuclear physics, idiots. Anyway, they're idiots. It's fine. It's good. It, I mean, look, that was a good thing. It was a good thing. It's a very good thing. Good yep. thing. Yep. Um, not that I'm saying like dropping atomic bombs is a good thing, but, you know, we didn't need Germany to have them. For sure. We did not right. need Germany to have them before anybody else did. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in 1942, Phil got a personal letter and a picture of Hitler from Hitler himself. And Hitler wrote, with you, the National Socialist Thoughts have had a courageous supporter and brave fighter since the beginning, who effectively curtailed the Jewish influence on science and who always has been my faithful and appreciated colleague. This shall never be forgotten. Nope, don't like and that. And if that isn't the strongest recommendation for why this person is horrible, I don't know what is. If Hitler is endorsing you and talking about how great you are, you're not a good person. Thumbs I, big thumbs down big thumbs down i'm i'm gonna agree with that i like i just can't Zero stars do not recommend no no absolutely okay. not um so i read that after world war ii phil figured he'd be tracked down because he um I, I don't talk too much about this but he was a big proponent of not letting jewish people teach in the university and like following all those horrible laws that really excluded jewish people people from like everything yes and so he figured that there would be some kind of punishment for him for being a horrible person mm -hmm. so he hid for like two months but then he just went ahead and turned himself in and then he was more or less put on house arrest and he ends up in a smaller village where he lived until he his death on may 20th 1947 mm-hmm so, um, you know, I did read some about his science and I don't know, maybe he could have had a BA career in science, but his craptastic attitude literally on everything else in his life is just, uh, just thumbs down, just a big thumbs down. Yeah. Unfortunately, as we will see his stubbornness and his bad attitude and his generally petty, sulky, snotty nature really did affect his ability to be the kind of scientist he could have been and and i will talk about that a lot in our kind of like the our fallout okay. section kind of at the end cool. but you you're right about that he might have had a really ba career yeah i mean he he's a nobel not. prize winner mm -hmm. and and deservedly because he did do mm -hmm. some very mm -hmm. cutting edge amazing interesting things but then this man's life i i, I i'm surprised that he wasn't found to be some kind of mentally ill because his life takes this left turn into mm. nazi land and it's it's weird it's just weird i mean maybe he maybe it was maybe i don't know maybe his son's death maybe a lot of things just like sent him off the deep end or something i don't know yeah. i don't know much about the brawl so that'll be interesting to hear more about yeah um so that's phil's life in a nutshell basically so let's talk about al Al, who is rad and quite a character, in fact. Uh, quite a character. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll talk about him and then I will kind of talk about how they first intersected mm -hmm. just to give context to like how they first meet, but then we'll let Maggie take over from there. Yeah. Okay. I feel first, I need to say preface. I feel like the Albert Einstein that I've always heard about in school is a very different uh, slash less exciting than the owl that I learned about doing this research. 
Yes. I'll uh, only because I am just that I don't know, terrible petty person who loves the other people's drama. And you know, I was I was talking to mom and dad about this, and I'll say this to all of our listeners too. I don't want to hear about celebrity gossip. I don't care about TMZ. I don't want to hear, I don't want any of that. What I want is I want to know why the Denny's night shift hates each other. I want to know why the loading guys and unloading guys at Kohl's have a beef. I want to know those tiny stories, those little dramas, that tea, that's the tea that I want. I don't, don't and, and Al has lots of fun stories. He's got lots of fun stories coming yes. up. I'm, mm. excited. I'm excited. Okay. So I'll do some of the basics. Like he was born here and he went to school. But mostly I'm going to try to spill all the tea that I found out about him. Okay. Yay. And hopefully you didn't know this before because it'll be more fun. And maybe you did know some of it. And maybe I'm the one who's like totally, you know, in the dark about yeah, we'll find out about everything. Okay. So Al was born on March 14th, 1879. So he was not that much younger than um, Phil. They were mm-hmm. not, con- I mean, I don't know. They were not contemporaries, I guess. I don't know what could, could you know, separate them, but they were close in age. Mm-hmm. His dad, Armand, was a salesman and also an engineer. And his dad and his brother, his dad's brother, so his dad and uncle, had a company based in Munich that made electrical equipment. Mm-hmm. Al's mama was Pauline Einstein, and he also had a sister, I'm going to say Maya, and he uh, he was two years older okay. than, or yeah, he was two years older than her, okay? Okay, so their family was Jewish, but really they were secular Jewish, so what that means is they're ethnically Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. But they are not practicing the Jewish religion. Okay. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's like, I mean, that that's actually i think pretty common there were a lot of secular jews in germany mm-hmm. not actually practicing the jewish religion but hitler and all the nazis had a problem just that ethnically they were based from that region which is stupid it's, it's really stupid completely stupid guys if I, we haven't expressed how stupid we think anti-semitism is like it's really stupid it's really stupid well, i mean because really. anti-semitism is just a, is just its own special kind of racism and racism right. is stupid and racism is super stupid. So little Al went to gymnasium, but didn't really thrive in the environment. He had some speech challenges. I feel like I always remember hearing like, Albert Einstein couldn't tie his shoes till he was seven and he was a genius or whatever, you know? Um, yeah, but that, I mean, that's a motor skills thing, not a genius thing. I, yeah, I don't know. But he had some speech uh, challenges or delays or something too. I just also would like to say that like, um until your kids hit like kid size not toddler size shoes most shoes that you find don't actually have laces so how are they supposed to learn to tie their own shoes when none of their shoes have actual laces we ran into that because my son he was probably eight or nine before he learned to tie shoes simply because there literally are not shoes for children with ties anymore so he learned to tie on like a giant shoe we got you know my husband's shoes Mm -hmm. he learned on that so I'm not saying that's how it was back then, but I'm just saying that I know. it's not shoes, shoes with ties are not readily available for small children at this point in our history. So yeah. maybe it was the same for Al. I mean, I will brag because my six-year-old did learn to tie her shoes before heading off to first grade. 
That's, so that is that is good, but not surprising because she's a girl, and girls have better fine motor skills than boys. True, traditionally. She also, because she plays, I mean, her softball cleats have regular ties. Yeah, she's had to. I mean, she hasn't been tying them anyway. Anyway, so Al's maybe like not your traditional learner or whatever, whatever. but we all know he's a genius. Okay, he was also big into music. He learned to play the violin, um, which we've talked about this before math and music pretty much go together they're the um, same yeah music music is math in its own way so um you know music is just an auditory representation of math that's all mm-hmm. yeah so al's father took the family to italy in the mid 1890s because of work and i guess al was left in munich to finish school and then I read a few different things about his teenage years because, like, I read he dropped out of school when he was 14 or 15 and moved to Switzerland. But then I also read he withdrew with a doctor's note claiming he had nervous exhaustion. And that was because he was just about to be eligible for the military. You know, like, he might have been a draft dodger and a school oh. dropout. I'm not really sure. It this That was a little... There's a lot of questions that I had there, and I didn't really sort it all out. It but it was a little... Hazy. It was a little hazy. He might have dropped out of school and or he might have effectively dodged the draft in Germany and moved to Switzerland so he didn't have to get, you know, into the military. You know, anyway. Um, so he renounced his German citizenship in 1896 and was a just basically stateless person. Okay. Stateless until he became a Swiss citizen in 1901. Okay. So I guess if he renounces his citizenship you're not really dodging your military service because you're not a citizen anymore i don't know again it's i feel little... i feel like he was willing to dance on the head of that pin and i don't know if i would yeah. be, but okay yeah so one way or another he ends up in zurich going to the swiss federal polytechnic institute and he was going for teaching um, math and physics okay and there were six students in his program and one is a woman <gasps> shocking what? named muleva merich who I just am calling Millie. I don't know. Okay. And they become study buddies and then they become more than study buddies. Oh my. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Al graduates with his teaching diploma in 1900 while Millie failed that year. And then she also failed the following year. Um, But turns out when she took the test in 1901, she was also three months priggers. So... I mean, uh, so she goes home. Um, she was Serbian. So she goes home and has a baby girl named Liseral, which is a weird name. I don't know. It's, it's like Liseral, but it's got an R in there. So it's Liseral. Anyway, in 1902. And this was a big secret, as in we only know about it because of a letter Al wrote to Millie about it. And that letter wasn't found until they were both dead whoa like that's how big of a like nobody like this is the only reason we know about this baby girl and we have no idea what happened to her like we don't know did she did she die in in infancy was she put up for adoption who raised her like we don't know anything about this child period like she had a baby girl that is all we know about it guys mentioned to millie from al in a letter that was found after their deaths we need to get on the genetic genealogy train with this right now. 
right now. I mean, gotta find maybe, it. maybe there has been more tracking because this source was maybe six, seven, eight years. I don't remember how old this source was. So maybe since then, I didn't actually try to look it up too much after that um, because I was just like, well, I got too much to talk about, but I don't know. Wild. There's a good chance we really like that is literally all we know about her. Wow. That's why yeah. that's seriously wild. Al's family was super against Millie, ironically, because of her ethnicity, because she was Serbian. Guys, I know, I know, right? It's like, come on. Okay. But I think it was in 1900 when he visited home after his final exam, and he went to talk to his mom. And she brings up Millie, and he lets her know he's going to marry her. And then he writes, quote, Mama threw herself on the bed, buried her head in the pillow, and wept like a child. After regaining her composure, she immediately shifted to a desperate attack. You are ruining your future and destroying your opportunities. No decent family will have her. If she gets pregnant, you really will be in a mess. Which, LOLs, we already did that. Oh, well, actually, Ooh. if it was 1900, he literally then goes and knocks her up, like, shortly after that. Al, come on. <laughs> My dude. My dude. I know. Also, the drama from this lady. Oh, I know. Throwing herself on the bed and weeping like a child. Like, literally, that is what my three-and-a-half-year-old does. So, So, she yeah. threw a full-on tantrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. If she gets pregnant, you really will be in a mess. Well, looks like he was in a mess. Yeah. Um. So, Papa Einstein actually died in 1902. Mm-hmm. So, um. I don't know if that because he was also very against it so I don't know if after his death it made it a little bit easier maybe to kind of push forward because that was a man and his mom was not and he was married anyway yeah um so she comes back to Zurich you know she did one of these like I've got to go back home or you know all Mm. the women that used to go to the continent for mysteriously nine months and then come back you know Mm. so she comes back to Zurich in 1903 and they get married yay and they'll go on to have two more kids named Hans Albert, who they just called Albert, mm-hmm. and Edward in 1904 and 1910, respectively. Meanwhile, and we'll talk a little bit more about them here or there, but meanwhile, Al has gotten himself a job at the Swiss Patent Office in Bern to support the family. Okay, so 1905 turns out to be a pretty big year for Al, which is the same year that Phil got his Nobel Prize. And it all has to do with his science because he starts making some big, big waves. <laughs> in the community the uh-huh. physics community you'll see why um and it turns out working at the patent office wasn't so bad because he made a lot of money he made more money than he would have as uh as an assistant professor and it was so routine that he had a lot of free time to think and like do his own stuff nice so one source i read said it was his most creative period in terms of scientific theories because of that wow um and in 1905 he also got his doctorate despite estimating Avogadro's constant at 2.2 times 10 to the 23rd instead of 6.022 times 10 to the 23rd, which feels like kind of a lot. Like, that's a big difference, guys. It is a big difference. He did publish a correction after he realized he had made an algebraic error, but I just thought it was kind of funny. It's it's kind of a big difference, but okay. Okay. So here's where, so Phil sent Al some of his own work around this time. And Al wrote back nicely. And then it took Phil four years to write back. But he did. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Al's star was rising. And to be honest, I think Phil initially was trying to latch on 
I don't know. Like, I don't, I didn't read into all this, but just, it felt kind of like Phil was like, oh, here's some bright, talented young physicist and I'm going to get in good with him so that when he starts to become famous, then I'm like attached to that. But I don't know, but it starts off nice. It does. Well, we we can talk about that because I'm going to talk. Okay. It'll take a turn for a worse, but you know, that's how they kind of first start uh, interacting. Okay. Yes. Okay, let's talk about his personal life because Maggie can fill in on all the physics stuff, blah, 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 blah. Al apparently didn't feel it was necessary to be super faithful to his wife. Oh, dear. Yeah. So, for example, while Millie was pregnant with Edward, Al wrote to his first girlfriend, Marie, and this was like 1910. And it wasn't just like, hey, how's it going kind of letter. It was a love letter. So I read that he wrote. I think of you in heartfelt love every spare minute and am so unhappy as only a man can be. Al, you know what, son? Like, you want to be unhappy? Like, your wife will show you unhappy. Yeah, you think you're unhappy now, my dude. You're going to end up on, you're going to end up as the victim on an episode of Forensic Files. Yeah, right? Like, dude, like, seriously, okay? Um, Another story I read about involved a woman named Anna Meyer Schmidt. So Anna and Al met a decade prior to like this incident at a hotel somewhere like the heat. They were on holiday at some resort and whatever. So she reads about him getting appointed to Zurich. Uh, maybe I'll talk about that in a little bit. He ends up being uh, appointed to teach at Zurich. But okay. um, so she slips into his DMs. Oh, man. And Al responds back with a flirty letter that's like, OMG, this is my office address and you should totally visit me the next time you're in Zurich. XOXO. I mean, that's not a direct quote, but it's probably pretty close. It's probably really close. And I wish he would not be like that. Please stop. So Anna wrote back, probably all flirty, like, LOL, Mm. I'm going to be in Zurich next week or something like that, you know? Uh Millie intercepts the letter. Oh, unclear as to how, because like, did she go to his office? Because he gave her his office address, presumably, so she wouldn't write to his home address. But maybe she wrote to his home address again because she must have written to his home address initially because he had to give her his. Oh, anyway, whatever. Uh, Millie gets the letter apparently. So, what does she do? Oh my gosh, tell me. I gotta she know. She writes to Anna's husband. Oh. And was like, OMG, Anna's letters are so shameful. And my husband is like super embarrassed about this. Like, please. Uh, Yeah, embarrassed. Okay. So then Al found out about all of this. And he writes to Anna's husband and was like, hey, my dude, my wife is just super jelly. Yeah, I was totally hitting on your wife and she was floating back. But like, man, wives, am I right? Al. Again, no, I'm paraphrasing. I didn't read any of these letters. This is just what I presume he's writing, you know. But that's like that's yeah. My she dude, the letter writes to the woman's husband. Then Al writes to the woman's husband. This husband, this poor husband, this poor guy, Mr. Meyer Schmidt, Mr. Schmidt, probably, Mr. Schmidt, probably. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry for whatever this all was. That was way more drama than you needed in your life. He I'm didn't sorry. sign on for that. He just went to have a I nice, know. quiet wife. No, no big deal. So his most famous affair would be with a woman called Elsa Lowenthal. I've heard of her. They started up an affair probably in 1912. Fun fact about Elsa, 
She was Al's maternal first cousin and paternal second cousin. And consequently was Elsa Einstein before and after her marriage to Lowenthal. I mean, in terms of like would eventually get married. In in terms of return address labels, I mean it's very efficient. I mean mean, you're not changing your name, so that's fine, but well, she Everything did. Else she had to it. change it from Einstein to Lowenthal and then back to Einstein, but not because she was divorced and like wanted to go back to her maiden name, but because the dude she married was her cousin. I don't like that. I don't like anything about that. Not. It's, yeah. Um, so it, they would get married, but it was a little tricky getting to that point. So in 1914 or by 1914, I guess I should say, after trying to break it off for a bit, I guess mm-hmm. they decide initially like, you know what? We're like super close cousins. Like maybe this isn't the way to go. Um, By 1914, I was like, nope, I want Elsa. So he asked Millie in 1914, like, yo, can I have a divorce? And she's like, no. So they basically had, this reminds me of like, you know, Sheldon from Big Bang. Yeah. He had like roommate, roommate agreements. Wow. These are actually like written conditions that Al wrote regarding their cohabitation and separation situation. So she's like, no, I'm not going to divorce you. And he's like, that's fine. But if I'm living here, here's the rules. Yeah. You want to hear the rules? Oh, please. Hey, you will see to it. One, that my clothes and linen are kept in order. Two, that I am served three regular meals a day in my room. B, you will renounce all personal relations with me except when these are required to keep up social appearances and you will expect no affection from me. You must leave my bedroom or study at once without protesting when I ask you to. And she wanted to stay married to this guy. Look, I mean, okay, maybe Millie was a shrew, but she was very intelligent. Like she was in school in whatever, like early end of the century, right? Turn of the century or whatever. And they could converse on physics and math and so on. She vetted his publication. She looked up references for him. He even trusted her to check his computations. So I feel bad because they feel like they could have had a really cool partnership. Yeah. Their whole lives if he hadn't been a philandering moron. Moron? Yeah. Um, I mean, she does look kind of severe in a picture I saw of her. But I mean, well, photography pictures... in those days wasn't great. So like exactly. everyone kind of severe, exactly. you know? Exactly. Um, so yeah. So we, again, we don't know like totally what her personality was, but uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be particularly kind if I knew my husband was out there having affairs behind my back. Actually, not really even behind my back. No, he was pretty much flaunting his affairs at that point. So long story short, he finally gets her to agree to a divorce and he promises her money if he wins a Nobel Prize in the future, which that all kind of got kind of complicated as well. But I'm not I'm not getting into it anyway. Um, so then they get divorced three months later. Dun, 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 dun. Elsa and Al are married. Yay. Yay! And Millie ended up with the kids and Albert Jr. especially seemed to take her side in all the things. Um, and I think later on they did patch things up, like Al and his son. But I think um, for a while it wasn't a great relationship, you know. Oh, that's sad. You know, dad's a cheating scumbag. I don't know. Well, you yeah, he probably he was the one that was at home watching his mom be upset about it <laughs> and have to cook him three meals a day, but nothing else. Pants, but please leave me alone. 
Anyway, Ugh. you'll be happy to know, though, that he was fair in his treatment of his second wife, uh, like, just like Millie. By 1923, he had fallen in love with his 23-year-old secretary, Betty Neumann. Neumann? Ow. Betty. And Elsa worked on him for, like, two years to get him to stop. Like, she knew what was happening for two years. Like, please stop seeing Betty. No. You know what she should have done? She should have called up first wife and been like, I'm forming a club. Are you in? So, um, but I guess she eventually convinced him. So, I, I guess, good. Okay. There was another woman named Ethel Mikanowski that he was involved with. Okay. And he wrote this to his wife, Elsa, <clears throat> quote, Mrs. M definitely acted according to the best Christian Jewish ethics. One, one should do what one enjoys and what won't harm anyone else. And two, one should refrain from doing things one does not take delight in and which annoy another person. Because of one, she came with me. And because of two, she didn't tell you a word. Isn't that irreproachable? Oh my gosh, if I got that letter from my <laughs> husband, I would immediately find a magistrate and be like, I'm going to need spousal support for the next 20 years. And I want a piece of his Nobel Prize. Like just, you know, whatever his first wife's getting, same. Because now he's got two ex-wives. Bye. I, like, it's a miracle. Like he didn't come home and get beat within an inch of his life with a frying pan. You know? Honestly, it's, it, if Nazi Germany was never going to get Al because the women in his life would have done him <laughs> in first. I just have so okay. I'm I'm not sure what Christian Jewish ethics he's referring to, but I'm pretty sure one should do what one enjoys and what won't harm anyone else is not not the thing. Not, that's not a, that's not a thing. I, not, again, I we're not. I know that neither of us are experts in Judaism. We're Christians, sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's not a thing for Christians. That's not a thing we do. It's if someone's thing for. I, if, if someone tells you that it is, they're lying. They're wrong. It's not. I don't thing. think it is for Jewish, the Jewish faith at least either, because you know, I I just don't think it, it is. I, I feel yeah. like not, especially not yeah. when it leads to you know adultery. And also, I don't think it's a Christian ethic that we should refrain from doing what we don't take delight in, because I think you have to do things like you know work and and stuff and stuff, right? Yeah. But yeah, she's isn't that isn't that irreproachable that she didn't tell you, my lovely wife, that we were totally knocking boots behind your back or something. I don't. I don't. I know. find a lot of things reproachable about that. I find Al. a lot. I find the whole situation reproachable. Reproachable. Al is <sighs> reproachable. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Somehow this marriage worked to some degree. However. I don't even know because they stayed married until Elsa died in 1936. Wow. Okay. So yeah. Okay. I'm going to skimp on some details, but I do need to kind of move his life along in terms of like just where he is and some facts and stuff. Okay. 1921, he comes to the U.S. for the first time. He actually went on a lecture tour to help raise money for a Jewish university in Palestine. He'll eventually become involved with the Zionists, which are like the, you know, that movement of yes. kind of like you know supporting the jewish culture and people and stuff mm -hmm. but um he was starting to recognize his jewish roots more insofar as just like ethnically he was jewish i don't think he was practicing the faith still like and i think it's more of like a secular judaism or you know secular jewish uh person but he did feel like he should help other jews and um 
obviously anti-Semitism is on the rise. So there's all of that. And I think that sparked him more into wanting to claim it oh, because okay. he felt like they were being persecuted or saw that there was persecution, I guess. I don't know. Uh-huh. America loves him though. He's quirky. He's whatever. And so he gets a bunch of awards and it's a big deal, blah, blah, blah. Okay. In 1922, Al found out that he was the 1921 Nobel Prize winner for physics. Did you do you talk about this debate on how he ended up with this? Yes. Okay, so I I will not talk about it. You can talk about it. Yes. But I will mention that like during this time when he should be kind of dealing with that, he's on his way to Japan. Yes. And so, you know, while he's like traveling, He's like writing all these diaries. So I read that in 2018, there was a publication called The Travel Diaries of Albert Einstein, The Far East, Palestine, and Spain, 1922 to 1923. So he kind of like headed out east, right? But he was heading Mm -hmm. towards Japan. Um, And apparently it caused a bit of a stir because he wrote some not so nice things about different cultures and people he met in his travels. Oh my gosh, guys. Like he might have said of the residents of Hong Kong, like it would be a pity if these Chinese supplant all other races. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ow, it's a little bit scummy too. I was like, and not, not that the flandering is okay. But in some ways, I prefer that. It's not a good look, to be honest. So I don't think it, I don't think that, I I didn't try to get my hands on this publication or anything like that. But, you know, uh, obviously that doesn't sit well with any of us who are going like, um, my dude, like, really? Really? And it threw people too, because Al was a really big proponent of ending racism. Like, he even got into, because he lived in the States, right, towards, like, mm-hmm. later years, and that was, you know, you had civil rights movements and things going on. He was a big supporter of, like, civil rights and all this thing, so it's just, like, I, mean, I don't know. He was young and stupid, yeah, and he, you know, yeah, and maybe going through, maybe watching what happened in Nazi Germany kind sure, of. Sure, yeah, this him. was the 1920s, and, I mean, because we saw his mom threw herself on the bed because he was going to marry a Serbian, so, I mean, you know, I guess, I don't know. You and I have always been of the opinion, though, that you 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 can change you can change as you age. So the ideas that you hold when you're a child or a young man or even before a midlife crisis or before your entire country is going through a genocide, you know, there are things that might change your views on stuff. And that is legitimate. So let's let's hope that I think that that might be what it was. So let's just kind of skip along and we'll just say that by 1933, Al realized it was probably time to get out of the area and like, gosh, long, long story short, because there were a lot of stops along the way, maybe an assassination attempt or multiple ones, assassination plots, etc. Like, uh, is it Sweden or no, I didn't write it down. It was like Sweden or Norway or somewhere. I don't know. He's like hanging with the king and queen and then they're like trying to protect him because there's assassination anyway it's not good for him so anyway he gets to the states and he gets a job at princeton in new jersey okay Mm -hmm. so by 1935 he had permanent residency and then uh he became a u.s citizen in 1940 which i thought was kind of cool yeah very cool um in 1939 he actually helped warn fdr that the nazis might be trying to make a bomb and FDR actually took it seriously enough, and that kind of actually led into the creation of the Manhattan Project. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and um, there was another guy with him. It's like another German guy, kind of like 
came to Al and was like, yo, here's what's going down. And then he and Al were like, okay, we should probably like alert somebody about this kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But if you know anything about the Manhattan Project, you know that Al doesn't actually participate in that directly. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a variety of reasons for that. He's a pacifist, mm-hmm. um, for one. Um, and he also did have socialist ties. And J. Edgar Hoover, who was the FBI director at the time, I've heard of him. It's, did write that he was an extreme radical. Um, so that was going to keep him off the shortlist for the Manhattan Project, you know? Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, so the FBI was a little suspicious of him, which, you know, whatever. FBI. Right. And he did participate in working on Navy-based weapon systems um, during the war, and he did donate money to the military. So he did still support the U.S., even though he was um, kind of a pacifist and socialist kind of leaning person. Okay. Okay. Um, in 1948, doctors found a grapefruit-sized aneurysm of the aorta, and that will be important, so keep that in your satchel for just a minute. Um, they didn't do anything about it. They just found it. Had He had it, but, but you know, whatever. After the war, Al, like our pal Linus Pauling, was a big advocate of not using nuclear weapons. You remember Pauling was, he got mm-hmm. a peace, Nobel Peace Prize because he was so outspoken about, like, maybe right. we shouldn't just be shooting these things off left and right. Um, And then he joined the, Al joined the NAACP and continued his work at Princeton. Nice. Again, that's why some of those, those quotes and some of those things that were maybe in his travel diaries from early, his earlier years were kind of like, uh, really? So clearly he opened his mind and realized realized that that is not the way to think about it and did better. Okay. Um, you'll be happy to hear, I'm sure, that he was still very interested in the ladies in his later years. Gross. He had an affair with a Russian woman named Margarita Koninkova, who was allegedly a Russian spy who was, was tasked with getting I'm... secrets out of Oppenheimer and others connected to the Manhattan Project. And there's a letter, supposedly, I've read this in one of my sources, there's supposedly there's a letter from Al to Margarita and he talked about Almar, like he smooshed their names together. Like, were they the original Benefer? Oh my gosh. They were. The OG. I'm just saying. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she might have been a spy. So don't know. Don't know. Maybe he told her secrets. Hopefully not. Don't know. Don't know. Allegedly. She was allegedly a spy, I think. I don't know. I didn't deep dive. Look, I did not have time to go down all these rabbit holes. So, you know, y'all can look her up, I guess. Well, we could do one episode on just the women in his life. Gosh, for real. His last mistress girlfriend. I don't know what you call that. Girlfriend? I mean, he wasn't married. Oh, he wasn't married? Well, Elsa died in 1936. And he didn't get married after that? Mm -mm. Mm-mm. I would say girlfriend. A girlfriend. Her, uh, her name was Joanna Fantiva. She was 22 years younger than Al. Whoa. And she kept a diary and actually characterized him as like being very alert and keen-witted. She also mentions that he had a, uh, a chronically depressed parrot named Bebo. Oh my gosh. And I have a lot of questions because I want, well, one, I want to know if it was a cussy parrot. I hope that it was. I'm envisioning right now Marvin, the robot from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, I was envisioning 
Well, if you've watched the show Only Murders in the Building, there's a cussy parrot in there. But also, I think I've mentioned this, maybe it was in a Patreon episode, but my hairstylist has a cussy parrot named Baby. You've mentioned and... that before, and I have seen the first season of Only Murders in the Building. Yeah, so, so I, I envisioned that. But okay, so one, I want to know if it's a cussy parrot. Two, I would like to know how they know it was chronically depressed. Like, is yeah. parrot depression an issue? Like, what are the signs thing? and symptoms of parrot? Can you get a vet to diagnose parrot depression? You have to have a special kind of vet to die. I mean, like a psych, a psych vet. You no, know, I should have asked my husband because he used to have, he used to be a vet tech and the vet's office had, had, and I think still does because they live 8,000 years, uh, a parrot that was like in the vet's office. I should ask him. We need more we info need- about depression and parrots. Or, yeah, if you are out there listening and you either, one, if you have a cussy parrot, I really want to know about your cussy parrot. We want to know who he cusses at, what he says, and what his yeah. name is, or her. And also if you have children in the home that he cusses around, because because that makes that me hilarious. Um, only because it's not my kids, because it wouldn't be funny if it was my kids. No. So I want to know if you have a cussy parrot, or if, if you have a funny cussy parrot story. Also, please fill us in on parrot depression. Okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so remember that aneurysm of the aorta the doctors discovered? I do. They didn't operate it at the, on it at the time because heart surgery, as you may have heard, wasn't really a big thing at the time, okay? Mm-hmm. As we were in the 40s, 50s, okay? Mm-hmm. But on April 17th, 1955, I was admitted to the Princeton Hospital with chest pain. And what happened is that the aneurysm was leaking Ooh. and it was basically going to burst. Yeah. He refused the emergency surgery. He's 76 and I guess he was just kind of like, meh, you know what? I lived a good life, whatever. Wow. Um, and he died the next day, April 18th, 1955. Wow. Yeah. Then I read that during his autopsy, the pathologist named Thomas Stoltz Harvey took his brain supposedly without the family's consent so that it could be preserved and studied. I really don't feel, think Al would have cared, though, to be honest. I'm 100%. Like one source I read, it was like he's, his brain was stolen. I was like... If it was really stolen like we we knew what happened to it yeah it was purloined like he like stole it to sell it on the black market like hey buy albert einstein's brain you know it was relatively late in history though when people when it became a law that people had to consent to what happened to their loved ones it was relatively late in history it might have been after the 50s yeah i don't know um, but they did study it and they did find that one area of his brain, which this area is responsible for mathematical thinking, mm-hmm. was wider than the average person. So scientists yeah. do think that there actually really could have been like a correlation to his mathematical intelligence and his brain. Interesting. Um, so there you go. That's just a flavor of the brawlers for today. And there's so much more to Albert Einstein, obviously, but it hit on all the best parts. For sure. Best, best slash worst, but most entertaining. Most entertaining. Stuff. The most BA stuff, for sure, yeah. I think. Yeah. And it, yeah. those, you gave us a good idea of who we're going to be dealing with. So my, uh, my details on the brawl will have a lot, you know, it'll help. It'll help a lot. Awesome. So should we take a break and then talk about the, the big brawl? Yeah, I think so. All right. Break time. Okay, Brenna. We need to take a minute to tell everybody about Proton Guru and the MCAT Ladder. Yeah, we definitely do. It's an MCAT test prep program like no other. 
MCAT prep can be super expensive, but this is prepared by a group of passionate faculty who really want to keep costs low. The big thing about the program, though, is how good it is with really excellent concept explanations and visual learning, thousands of practice questions with explanations, plus full MCAT practice tests. If you've ever looked into the MCAT, you've looked around for complete programs that are made by actual experts. These courses cost thousands of dollars, which make it super impractical for the average person. MCAT Ladder, though, has over 100 full scholarships available now for both self-paced programs you can start anytime, as well as for intensive and boot camp type programs with dates throughout the year. Right. The whole idea behind Proton Guru and the MCAT Ladder is high quality MCAT prep that's accessible to more people, not just those who can afford thousands of dollars. So go on over to ProtonGuru.com and check out all the amazing stuff that's there. Current scholarship applications are due October 9th. With MCAT Ladder, it's all about reaching down to help others climb up, which is a very badass thing to do. So Phil, Al, we've heard all about them. Well, the juicy bits, the good stuff. <laughs> they were also extremely important in the world of physics. Both of them were in their own way. Al, mm -hmm obviously to this day is still revered as one of the most brilliant scientists ever to grace the planet phil not so much uh-huh but i blame the fact that he was a nazi nazis ruin everything crazy crazy nazi yeah crazy nazi crazy snotty nazi as we yeah. see and this brawl is a doozy not because it's especially unique no i mean as we have learned scientists scientists disagree with each other all the time about everything Sometimes it's merely that one thinks another's ideas are wrong, but they enjoy a lively and fruitful discussion-based relationship. Sometimes it's personal, like two people literally cannot stand each other, and so attacks on someone's work take on a deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of brawl we're dealing with today. On the one hand, we've got Phil. He did amazing work with x-rays and atomic theory, which I'm going to talk about. Then there's Al. He developed, as I'm sure most of us know, the theory of general relativity, and he discovered the law of the photoelectric effect, which I will discuss because there's some fancy, fancy semantics with that. But both men are geniuses. They're both excellent physicists of the highest order. Both won Nobel Prizes. Al even used some of Phil's photoelectric experimental results to advance his own work. Mm -hmm. So... As Brenna mentioned, the relationship started out cordial and kind of even friendly-ish. Mm -hmm. The rift between Phil and Al would be far too wide to bridge at the end. Okay. So let's talk about their correspondence. We need to get into that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Al's first impression of Phil was positive because Phil was one of Millie, Al's first wife. Mm -hmm. Phil was one of her professors when she was at Heidelberg. She was at Heidelberg? They met in Zurich. Yeah, but she was there too. Oh. I read in a source. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a couple okay. sources. Okay. Al had read nice things about Phil in Millie's letters. Okay. Then when Al was working in the patent office, he read some things that Phil had published on the subject of the photoelectric effect. And that subject is, again, important because it's going to contribute to the brawl. So the photoelectric effect is the emission of electrons when something like light hits a material. Electrons that are emitted when that happens are called photoelectrons. Okay? Mm -hmm. Understanding the photoelectric effect was hugely important for the formation of one of my personal favorite physics concepts, particle wave duality of light. 
It's my favorite. And I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to get more into that later. When Al read Phil's stuff, he published a paper on it. And in it, Al referenced Phil's work with what Phil thought was, quote, respect befitting Phil's station as an accomplished scientist. So he's a little bit narcissistic, a little bit. Al called Phil's work, quote, groundbreaking. And from what we know, Phil, flattery will get you everywhere. Uh, Yeah. So while Al is working on his own stuff, Phil sends Al his most recent work. And then Al writes back thanking Phil and telling them he devoured the paper and found it just as admirable as your first work. Mm -hmm. Here's the four-year gap. Uh Uh-huh. And then Phil writes back and says, hey, I'm a total fan of all this work, Al. So they're friendly scientific pen pals. Cool, 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 cool. Great, 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 Uh great, great. But it would not remain cool and great. (laughs) Brennan told us a little bit about Phil's personality, which would be part of the problem between Phil and Al. Also the anti-Semitism. There is that. And disagreements about science. Okay. So let's get some quick background on that subject real quick. Okay. At this time... You had two main schools of thought in the physics world. There were guys like Phil who were experimentalists and they really heavily relied on Isaac Newton. So Isaac Newton's work. They believed that any valid new knowledge had to come from drawing a conclusion based on observations made by testing a hypothesis a la Mm -hmm. the scientific method. It's called induction. Okay. Then there were theorists like Al. These guys would take a look at the current body of knowledge and make assumptions. Okay. Al was really good at taking everyday items and relating them to these advanced ideas in thought experiments. These deductions needed experimental observation to determine accuracy, but that wasn't always easy. And yeah, my favorite source for this episode when I was researching was the man who stalked Einstein. It was really good. And Mm -hmm. the authors use gravity as a good example of inductive science. Uh Sir Isaac Newton made observations, hypothesized about what they meant and tested his ideas and drew conclusions. Okay. Mm -hmm. Inductive science is great for dealing with the visible world that you can experience. Okay. But what happens with really, really, really small stuff like atoms and really, really big stuff Mm -hmm. like the universe. Yeah. Well, in that case, you got to guess a little, and it's not really a guess it's deduction. Like, how do we know that stars that are shining in the same direction as the sun are affected by the sun's gravity. Al said it was, I don't know. I was like, maybe the universe is curved. I don't know. He turned to be right, but they had to wait for a solar eclipse to prove it. You Mm. can't just replicate a solar eclipse on a massive scale Mm -hmm. in lab. Mm -hmm. So theorists and experimentalists did not agree on how space and time worked, specifically that everything depends on your frame of reference. In other words, it's relative. Ah. Yes. Okay. This is this is what leads up to Al's theory of relativity. Okay. Experimentalists did not like that at all, especially the ones that believed in ether. And we talked ether. about ether in our Lomonosov episode. Uh-huh. Lomonosov so, who didn't believe in gravity or something. Which is crazy because Lomonosov was a newtonian experimentalist in that he believed in ether and newton was the first one it was newton's theory that that, which i sorted out when i was researching Ah, for this yes okay i saved it for this episode because i didn't want to put it in an addendum because i didn't want to spoil it so okay there you go Um, but no lomonosov thought that gravity was bunk 
but believed in ether, which is not observable at all, as we will find out. And that, anyway, that guy. Anyway, that, okay. Oh, anyway. no, all right. Yes. Okay. So, so this whole idea of relativity, experimentalism, ether, all of that is going to provide a backdrop for the brawl that's going to be actually goes pretty public in 1920. But I don't want to jump ahead to that yet. Okay. Okay. So we're in the 19 teens. They're scientific pen pals. Phil at this time had an assistant named Jake. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about Jake. Jake was more of a theorist than an experimentalist. And that was going to put Phil and Jake at odds, obviously. Yeah. Al and Jake, though, would develop a correspondence with each other since Jake was interested in all things theoretical. And initially, Al encouraged Jake to just stick it out with Phil. It's good experience. Not going to kill you. Just work with this guy. But then the cracks in the relationship between all three men begin to form, particularly Phil and Al. Al even wrote to Jake at one point saying, quote, Phil's recent lecture appears to me most infantile. Further, the study he commanded of you borders on absurd. I am sorry you must spend your time on such stupidity. Ouch. Okay. Yeah. Not mincing words there, Al. So shots fired. Okay. All right. The lecture that Al was talking about was one on ether. Okay. So ether theories propose the existence of some substance or field that fills Mm -hmm. space. Uh So you can transmit electromagnetic or gravitational forces. So the red swirly stuff that comes out of Jane in Thor the Dark World. No, I don't like that they called it the ether because that's not what it is but there is a parallel to it they suppose that there because there's they didn't really know this at the time and we know this now there's no air in space there's no atmosphere there's no whatever so Mm -hmm. how do the things that are in space move around if there aren't particles for it to bounce off of there has to be something up there we'll just call it ether oh said isaac newton okay okay so that, that was a really crappy and very succinct way to describe how ether theory formed because it's much okay. more complicated than that. But that's in a nutshell, that's what it means. So Al started to rely more and more on quantum theory and relativity, which you don't need ether for that. How, yeah. do, you think, how do you think Phil is going to feel about that? Not great. Not great. So of course, being the stubborn kind of man he is, he just digs in really hard. He puts all of his eggs because eventually he puts all of his eggs in the Nazi basket. First, yeah. he has this bucket of eggs and they're uh-huh. all in the ether basket. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Not an Easter basket, an ether basket. An ether basket. Yeah. Okay. So it turns, I would rather have an Easter basket. I don't want an ether basket <laughs> for any reason. Turns out that Al's relativity was a much better way to explain everything. Hmm. But Phil was rigid, could not let it go, could not let it go. The project that Al had called stupid was, in fact, trying to prove the existence of ether. So it was stupid. So it was stupid. But (laughs) Phil, Jake, who was doing the experiments, couldn't prove it because it's not a thing. Mm, Yeah. Just like Lomonosov couldn't disprove gravity. Right. (laughs) It's a thing. Yeah. Okay. So Al begins publishing more and more of his work and Phil and his other experimentalist pals did what they could to discredit Al. They accused him of plagiarism repeatedly and publicly, which was Hmm. not true, but Hmm. Al was not without supporters. Al's friends did what they could to correct any assumptions or accusations that painted Al as a liar. 
Okay. Then Al, and I loved this, he took a page from Galileo's playbook and wrote a paper that was set up as a dialogue mm -hmm. between a relativist like Al and a critic like Phil. Remember the, oh, the dialogues. The oh yes, scientific dialogues. Okay, it wasn't super sassy. It was only like a little bit sassy because okay. Al was a sass. He just was. Yeah. Al was a sass mouth. He just was. We we have agreed that he would one hundred percent have taught his parrot to be a cussy parrot. So. Yes. So yeah. he yeah for sure, yeah. Yeah. but it wasn't insulting. Sassy doesn't have to be insulting, and it was not insulting. I read some excerpts of it and it wasn't overly nasty or pejorative. It wasn't bad, but Phil fired back in a paper he published and he was an absolute jerk in his paper. And so kind of as the cracks have formed, it, it's 1918 by this time and Phil and Al were no longer cordial and they weren't, they weren't even, they weren't even within shouting distance of friendly at this point. Okay. Okay. Now, you heard me say 1918. It's important to note that November 1918 is when World War I ended. Phil, being a German, as Brenna mentioned, shared the resentment of right. his countrymen at how badly Germany was treated at the Treaty of Versailles. That whole thing. Yeah. Phil especially believed in the idea that Germans had been stabbed in the back by pacifists and Jews, and Al was both of those things. Yep. So this is when his anti-Semitism that probably already had a little bit of a seed in there it's kind of takes root and starts to develop Phil, mm -hmm. like most germans at this time were very suspicious of anyone or anything non-german right al's theory of relativity relied on math to some extent and phil thought that was the worst mm. okay so he begins to attribute al's ideas to the natural outcome of al being a jew Oh, right, because he does, he can't think the same way as a German would for physics. I know, That's why like, we have what, Jewish physics in German. Right. Well, yeah, apparently, quote, Jewish science used mm. mathematically deduced theories. Well, Jewish science gave us the atomic bomb, so get out of here. Right? Well, and what's even cooler, what's even cooler is that Jewish science and math, with math in it, corresponded really nicely with Newtonian science. Mm. Which, wow, did Phil hate that completely. Um, also, spoiler alert, I think right. I think we made this clear. There is <laughs> yeah. no such yeah. thing as Jewish science or right. area. We're science. using big air quotes around Jewish science because it's not like a thing. It's, it's not, not actually a thing. No, science is science. No. And anyone, I and I do have to say, I will get a little bit soapboxy here because this is important to me. Anyone thinks that something like science or math can be labeled as belonging to a group or, quote, modified to cater to a certain group is definitely a racist and probably an idiot. Maybe that's a hot take. I really don't care. <laughs> but Phil saw that Al was getting a lot of publicity for his ideas, and that just would not do. Right. So he had to respond as any, and this is, you know, capital letters, true German would, which was to gather all the natural scientists possessed of the true Aryan spirit and join them together to terminate the Jewish influence. Major yikes. That's yucky. I know I felt actually gross when I typed that sentence. It's yucky. So Phil does. He gets a group of scientists together for a series of anti-relativity lectures. Like, so he's not, he's not coming in soft. Okay. He is coming in hot. He is bringing out the big guns to begin with. 
And Al actually attended some of the, like this one lecture and was completely unconcerned by the fact that the speaker said some really ridiculous and awful things. For example, one guy said that Al and his theory had performed scientific mass hypnosis. Wow. Ridiculous. Al wasn't stupid though. He knew that this was about more than science. This was political. The mm -hmm. speakers charged Al and his theory with being un-German, which was becoming code for part of the Jewish problem. Right. And remember, Hitler's final solution to the Jewish yeah. problem was genocide. Yeah. So yeah. not good. Not great. Good. Zero stars. Yep. It was the, the official position of BA in science is genocide gets two thumbs down. And it was really bad. Yeah. So Al did respond to the speakers, though he published a response called, quote, my answer to the anti-relativistic corporation limited <laughs> their actual name was the working society of german scientists for the preservation of pure science which mm. absolutely rolls right off the tongue lol yeah i like al's name better i do too and he said something to the effect of this isn't a quote but it probably is a quote these guys <laughs> are so lame that they're not worth my time but let me just get the facts straight and he did okay, okay. He named prominent German scientists who supported him, but did mm -hmm. single Phil out as the only mm -hmm. internationally renowned physicist who was against him. Mm. If that's all he did, Al might have averted a lot of ugliness. Mm -hmm. That to be fair, he did not start. Okay. Don't start stuff, there will be stuff, right? <laughs> But then Al, who at this point apparently couldn't help himself, which I feel like actually is a really good theme for Al. I was uh -huh. talking to this girl and I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> so Al, who at this point obviously couldn't help himself, says, quote, though I admire Leonard as a master of experimental physics, he has yet to accomplish anything in theoretical physics and his objections to the theory of general relativity are so superficial that I had not deemed it necessary until now to relay them in reply to them in detail. Oh. So essentially, Phil is basic, and until he attacked me in public, there was no reason for me to clap back. <laughs> Sassy Einstein. I love that. Sassy. Yeah. yeah, but maybe he shouldn't have sassed because, well. yeah, because unfortunately, lots of scientists who knew Al were worried. Right. Al was a Jew in a very hostile Germany. His friends wanted him and Phil to reconcile before a big deal scientific meeting at Bad Neuheim. Okay. They tried to work out a deal where Al would apologize for blaming Phil for how ugly the anti-relativity lectures got. And Phil and his cronies would be publicly warned against doing at Bad Neuheim what they had done at the lectures. Okay. Okay. But Phil, who was not sassy, but who was a jerk, was like, nah, he doesn't respect me and I won't accept a fake apology. Okay. So, way to be the bigger man. Hmm. Phil was constantly worried about optics and thought that Al had publicly humiliated him, which I would dispute. Yeah. I don't see actual public humiliation here yet. But whatever. He was mad that Al had singled him out as an instigator, which was actually true. Phil just didn't want people okay. to know it. Okay. But Al didn't make a fuss, and there was sort of like a ceasefire for a moment. Okay. But it was not to last. Mm. So let me tell you about this big deal science meeting in Bad Neuheim. It was actually called the 86th meeting of the German Society of Natural Scientists and Physicians. Uh, oh. 
Yeah, it began on September 19, 1920, and it was to run for a week, and there would be 300 sessions. So it was huge. Oh, and as part of the fallout from World War II, German scientists hadn't been welcome at any of Europe's other science get-togethers. Oh, yeah. Yep. So about 2,600 people were showing up to this thing. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Bill was there, as well as 16 other Nobel Prize-winning scientists. Okay. Bill had big plans for this conference. He wanted to control the direction of German science and steer it far away from Al's theory of relativity. Okay. Al had said that anyone who wanted to discuss his concerns about the theory of relativity could do so at an open session at the close of the conference. All right. He's willing to chat about it. Let's just chat. So on the afternoon of September 24, 1920, about 600 people crammed into this tiny space and waited. Now, if you've ever, you've been, Brenna, to scientific conferences. I have. So you might be thinking, you know, okay, but these aren't usually that exciting to the average person. Nothing crazy happens. Like, yeah. well, I mean, if you want to see really, really, really socially awkward people get smashed together in a room and have to be social, if you like watching that, I mean, it's pretty good. Okay, that's fair. But usually the speakers aren't going to say, Usually they're just going to talk about their work. Yeah, I, I went to one conference where the plenary speaker was um, the guy that wrote Disappearing Spoon. Oh. Yeah. So it's like every now and again you get somebody exciting. Somebody exciting. Okay, okay. Yeah. So maybe maybe the average person off the street would have been good to go to that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Have you ever been to one that was absolutely bananas, though? Um, I mean, I've heard about things that happen at some of these conferences or after or outside of the conferences. Look, y'all, I'm just going to, my husband travels to international science conferences. I mean, it just hits different. I don't know. Okay. So, so, so it has been known to happen sometimes, but I mean, not like fighting and drama like that, not like you know, scientists going at each other. Oh, that's what I've got here. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, nothing nothing like that. I mean, drama and some ridiculous shenanigans, but not like personal attacks of scientists. Okay, well, this final session was 100% bananas in terms of personal attacks. Oh, okay, good. So we've got a guy named Max Planck. He was the mediator. Yeah, he, he's oh, okay. a big, yeah. yeah, he's a yeah. big deal himself. He was yeah. genial, fair-minded person who supported Al, but had questions about Al's theory. Okay. Very respected. You've you've definitely heard of Max Planck. It's yeah. Planck. he's Planck's yeah. constant guy. He's the Planck's constant guy. Yeah, among the other things. But yes, yeah, most people most people know him for Planck's constant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, in he was supposed to stand between two sides of the issue experimentalism mm-hmm. versus relativism but mm-hmm. really it was the two men that max okay. was standing between it was really between phil and al gotcha. i wish i wish i could tell you that an actual fist fight broke out but the only blows that landed were intellectual ones as one of my sources says remember phil has a reputation for being stuffy and rigid and whatever and al has a reputation for being the exact opposite a stuffy guy who's boring and obsequious is not going to have a never-ending train of women well spend time with him okay so at one point in the discussion we see just how phil can bring out the worst now 
The two men bickered like children, and Al was not able to maintain his usual good humor. At one point, mm. it actually devolved to, nuh-uh, yes, huh? Good. Yeah. Super mature. That's good. Yeah, it was super mature. The discussion didn't answer any real questions. No progress was made toward understanding Al's theory. But Al was verbally the better of the two. And Phil, who again, notoriously gets offended pretty easily, was really upset after the session. Al attempted to talk to him, possibly to apologize and try to get their personal relationship at least back to cordial, even though they would be at odds in terms of science. But Phil wouldn't speak to Al, so they just both left. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, In fact, disgustingly, Phil said later that he should have treated Al like a Jew, and since he didn't, basically the entire thing was a joke because the people there couldn't understand the flaws in Al's Jewish science. Oh, okay. I know. It's so gross. It's so gross. Phil, my dude. I I just... mm -mm. I know. I can't with this guy. I just can't. Oh. But Al really did not want to be at odds with Phil. The day after the disastrous meeting, Al published an apology, sort of, a sort of apology. Okay. It explained some extenuating circumstances and bad blood from the anti-relativity lectures. Okay. Spilled over into the session on the 24th. He's saying... I let it get the better of me from those other lectures. This was not me at my best, whatever. So it's sort of an apology. He's not saying, I'm sorry, but he's saying, you know what? That's what that was. We could probably have done better. Phil Phil did not accept that apology and his attacks on Al and the theory of relatively would not slow down. Can't stop, won't stop. Great. Yeah, he had a history of this sort of thing. Now we alluded to this in Brenna's section. We talked about Will, the x-ray guy. Yep, Mm -hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk a little science about cathode rays, Phil and Will. Okay. Okay. In 1888, Phil was working with cathode rays, what we would more likely call electron beams. Mm -hmm. They're hard to study because they were hard to produce. You had to create a partial vacuum and a glass tube with metallic electrodes in them and then run high voltage through the whole thing. Studying something in a sealed glass tube under only partial vacuum was far less than ideal for studying them. And doing that studying would turn out to be super important because, spoiler alert, this is how we discovered the existence of electrons. Yeah, all these experiments that were done around this time were really important, but I'll be honest, they're some of my least favorite ones to have to, like, study and learn in school because they're yeah. kind of boring to me. They're super boring. They they are, but they're really a big deal. But I'm, yeah, yeah, they're so important. I'm kind of for, jumping like, ahead. Fundamentally what we believe, even as chemists, like even though they're, mm-hmm. they kind of are kind of this in between physics, chemistry, but like they're super important. But also like I get kind of bored by them because it's boring. It is. It, it is. would have been boring to have that job of like waiting for the thing to show, like, you know, like. I know. It, it, it would not yeah. have been my jam either. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, Phil, Phil was able to deal with it. And this is where and I do want to talk about this. He was, he was boring. He was boring. Again, obsequious <laughs> and petty and wolf. But he was a pretty good scientist in this point in his life. He was able to deal with the problems of a cathode ray by making small metallic windows in the glass that wouldn't fail under pressure, but would also allow the rays to pass through. Okay. So you could put now this metal tube with these special metal windows in it under full vacuum. So you can actually study an electron beam. I didn't know that's what it was, but that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. So then you could let the rays out 
and direct them to a chamber under full vacuum. So they're easier to see. Okay. He could even measure their intensity using paper coated with, wait for it, phosphorescent material. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As he studied these rays, he realized that they were made of particles smaller than air. And eventually some other guys hopped on this idea and the word electron started gaining popularity. Okay. Phil also realized through these experiments, he realized correctly that the atom is mostly empty space. Okay. Okay. So again, as Brenna said, hugely, massively important yeah. experiments and conclusions mm -hmm. to, to physics, uh, uh, physicists and chemists alike. Like worthy of Nobel Prizes, you know, because in 1905, Phil won the Nobel Prize in physics for right. this work. Right. But that was too little too late for Phil. Uh -huh. In the later 1880s, Will was using one of Phil's tubes and long story short, discovered the x-ray. Mm hmm. I don't want to tell the whole story because as we've already touched on it with a couple of people and we'll, we might cover Will in depth some other time, but... This discovery led to Will getting the Nobel Prize in 1901, four mm -hmm. years before Phil. Mm -hmm. And he also got the nickname Father of the X-Rays. Mm -hmm. Phil, rather snottily, in my opinion, said that he, Phil, was the mother of the X-Ray and Will was merely the midwife who assisted with the birth. No, just no. no. Just no. I'm going to stop you right there, Phil. That analogy, metaphor, whatever that is, no. Just no. no, it's awful. Mm -mm. And so clearly Phil has a, a history of getting sulky when he yeah. feels slighted. And he loved yeah. to nurse a grudge because as we said, Will protected his work when he died because he knew that Phil would try to right. steal it. And he did try to or steal it. Or claim it for his own. Or, yeah. for his own, yeah. yes. The situation with Al was no different. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, slightly different. Because Will was at least a non-Jewish German. Oh, yeah. So Phil could at least stomach that a little bit. But Al was a non-German Jew. And that was not okay. When well, Al... Right. I mean, it was totally okay, but yeah, not for Phil. Uh, no, no, not for Phil. Yeah, yeah of course yeah, it's yeah. fine. Like any, any rational human being with right. more than three brain cells. Like, listen, Phil, you've got a neuron graveyard up there. I don't <laughs> even know what's rolling around in your head. <sighs> so Al was awarded his Nobel Prize in 1921, which he received in 1923, but the whole thing is weird. The whole yeah. thing is weird. Yeah. He, they like couldn't decide who to give it to. And then they decided, but then he was on his boat to Japan. So they messaged him and were like, yo, getting this prize in December. Are you going to be there? He's like, nah, dude, I'm going to be in the East. And they're like, okay, let's do it later. I'm back later. Yeah. And they like, did. It was weird. Anyway, it was, it was very weird. Um, but he won it for discovering the law of photoelectric effect. Okay. If you'll recall, Al and Phil had started their whole professional correspondence because of Phil's work on mm. the photoelectric effect. Mm -hmm. But Al was being recognized for combining quantum theory and photodynamics. So this is where we get to talk about my favorite part of physics. It, and, I, and it's going to be easy. I have a boiled okay. drill down to easy, okay? okay? So at the beginning of this whole spiel, I mentioned the dual nature of light. Mm-hmm. It has two different kinds of properties. It has particulate properties, particle properties, mm -hmm. and wave properties. Correct. Okay. 
So I've thrown around the word quantum. A quantum is the least possible amount of energy, which includes light, that you can have in like a little packet, okay? Mm -hmm. You can't have an infinitely small amount of light. There has to be a quantity, mm -hmm. okay? So quantum theory deals with all of that. And quantum theory is really important to the understanding of the dual nature of light, mm -hmm. okay? Quantum theory is important for like a ton of stuff, but yeah. No, because we have the quantum model of the atom too. Mm -hmm. So, which is our current best guess. So half of physical chemistry is quantum physical chemistry based stuff. Like, I mean, it's hugely important for our understanding of like bazillions of things. Yes. So understanding that you cannot have an infinitely small amount of light. There has to be a quantity quantum of it. And it's mm -hmm. like in a little packet. Okay. Mm -hmm. Quantum theory is dealing with all that. And photodynamics is how light affects living things. Mm -hmm. So Al used what Phil had done and applied Planck's constant, remember Max Planck, mm -hmm. here he is again, mm -hmm. which defines the relationship between wavelength and energy. He used it in chemistry all the time. And he came up with the law of photoelectric effect, okay. which is kinetic energy of photoelectrons, Ke equals HV minus V, where H is Planck's constant, V is frequency of radiation emitted, and phi is energy used to escape the metallic surface. We use a different version of this now in chemistry and in physics, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but this is, this is the, the okay. OG, okay? Oh, yeah. okay. Because I, okay. I had to look up, I looked up about four or five because I said, that's not what I know to yeah, be. No, it's, it's not, it's, 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 H, it's H equals H new over lambda, right? Yeah. Yes. And so we've massaged it because we have, again, deeper understanding, but this was brand new mm -hmm. at the time. This was mm -hmm. the first time that he had used all of these things together. This is the first time that he had been able to relate all of them in any kind of accurate or no, HC way. over Lambda. Sorry, guys, I misspoke. E equals HC over Lambda. Yes. Sorry. Yes. That's okay. New is C over Lambda. So new you is C over Lambda. E is, yeah. E is H new. Anyway. Okay. So this is all pretty good physics. And again, chemistry and physics are together here. Mm -hmm. They both have this. If you're in a physics textbook, you're going to get this stuff. If you're in a chemistry textbook, you're going to get this stuff. This is this, you know, fittingly with the dual nature, you have it in more than one mm -hmm. discipline. Yeah, sure. And it's not reliant on any theory of relativity. I have not mentioned relativity at all to this point. So Phil should have no problemo, right? Mm wrong he wrote a letter to the nobel committee asking them not to give al the prize oh okay yeah he actually complained he actually karened he oh, actually okay. said, i'd like to speak to the nobel prize manager please <laughs> he was up to his old oh. too using similar reasoning from when he dragged will about the whole x-ray thing the same mm -hmm. thing that he did to will he did to al Phil's concerns would be quietly set aside because theoretical physics was becoming the way physics was done and experimental physics was on its way out. Also on the way out was anything even resembling reality in the world of German politics. Hitler was on the rise and we all know how that turned out. Not great. In fact, it was one of, again, one of the most awful attempts at genocide in the history yeah. of the world, although certainly not the only one. Well, yeah, that's true. As Hitler rises to power, Phil is really liking what he's hearing yeah. he leans really hard into the german nationalism uh which i do want to point out was not actually nationalism right. yeah, yeah. it was anti-semitism right. yeah much of it much of that hatred though from phil was 
directed solely at Al, who okay. really was just trying to keep his head down and research and all that. He's just trying to vibe. Phil would not let him do that. Mm. At one point, Phil wrote, quote, it is a well-known Jewish feature to quite immediately bring factual matters into the realm of personal disputes. Mm, okay. I want, to, I want to unpack that for a second because one, calling it a Jewish feature is super racist and factually inaccurate. Right, and right. two, Al literally never did that. And it was mm. Phil's favorite way of dealing with the discussion. Mm-hmm. So Phil's an idiot. Yeah. yeah. And Phil's colleagues thought so too. No one jumped on his racist relativity hating bandwagon. In fact, when Al won his Nobel Prize, Phil was becoming very isolated and watching other German scientists flock in droves toward theoretical physics. So he did the only thing that he literally could do. Just kidding. He had lots of choices, but he chose the worst (laughs) one. Yeah. Basically quit science and jumped into Nazi politics. Right. He hoped to use Nazi ideas to erase Al and his science from history. Right. Yeah, I talked about that a little bit too. Yep. So yeah. So let's skip ahead to 1929. This is when Hitler begins actively recruiting Phil. And as we discussed, can't think of a single thing worse than that. Yeah. But Hitler recognized that Phil was a well-known Nobel Prize winning scientist would be, and so he's a great person to have on board the Nazi train. He would serve to kind of temper the extreme parts of Hitler's plans and make oh. it more palatable for moderates to join in. I know the whole thing's so gross. Okay. Hitler saw in Phil a kindred spirit. I mean, he, he sent him his picture for his birthday or something. He totally loved how Phil and Phil's assist, Phil has his assistant named Johannes Stark. Um, they He was like, yeah, go after Al all the time. Love it. Don't, can't stop, won't stop. Don't let up. Uh, in 1929, Phil published a paper, pamphlet, diatribe, I don't know. Okay. He published this thing called 100 Authors Against Einstein. Oh, gosh. But a lot of the authors weren't experts or even <laughs> physicists. Fantastic. Al's super sassy response was, quote, if I were wrong, one would have been enough. <laughs> uh nice so i adore him i adore that moment in al's life but every time phil went after al nazi higher-ups loved it once hitler made himself Fuhrer in 1933 phil visited hitler himself yeah. you know science is everything hitler yeah. loved it. phil blah blah yeah fortunately al was not around during this time right. Britain had mentioned that al left germany so all of this was happening right. after al went to the united states right but not everybody had left Germany. Mm-hmm. Plenty of Jewish academics were still around and Phil made them his target, ousting all of them. But Al was always his number one target. In 1940, he wrote about Al and his supporters, quote, just as the Cubists, think Picasso, right, had an inability to paint decently, so here lies together the audacity and the inability they want oh to God. impose on others. I mean, okay, first of all, cubism is not my jam. I'll be honest. Give me a Degas over Picasso any day. Yes. But, I mean, I don't feel like... they can't paint? It's not that they can't paint. It's just different. Okay, anyway. But that that is a hallmark of Nazism. Different is not okay. Different is garbage. True. Right? 
So Phil went so far as to have Al and all of his works banned from academia and any supporter Mm. of Al's Jew or non-Jew fired. Yeah. He was convinced to the day he died that science was determined by race or blood, which is nonsense. But in Nazi Germany, lots of people agreed. Hence why the Nazis renamed it the Philip Leonard Institute of Physics or whatever. They thought he was the bomb diggity. They did. Yeah. All that and a bag of chips. Yeah. I have to say that I wish someone thought of me as much as Phil thought of Al. Because in Phil's major work, Deutsche Physik, which is German mm. physics, yeah. yeah, he continued to drag Al. Mm. Bro, mm-hmm. let let this one go. Yeah. Al is in the United States at this point. Just let it go. Yeah. In the end, Phil's inability to just get over a lot of stuff, coupled with the complete destruction of the Nazi party, right. yeah, there was that led idea. to Phil's downfall. And Brennan gave us good details of that, so I'm not going into that here. Right. But Phil went to his grave a bitter, resentful racist with mm-hmm. all of his good work sort of lost in the debris of his political leanings, which honestly is a great sentence and a great way to segue into the fallout of this brawl because the legacy here is pretty intense. Yeah. So let's take a break and uh, we'll do our, our wrap up here on the result of this very ugly brawl. Okay. So how do we quantify? We can't have an infinitely small or infinitely large amount of respect or shade for these guys. So how do we quantify them in terms of contributions and legacy? I have some thoughts on the fallout from Phil being a stubborn jerk, but what else can we say? Yeah, I mean, Albert Einstein is Albert Einstein. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know really that you have to say any much anything about him. I mean, again, he's kind of like the universal. If you ask like top three famous scientists, who are you gonna name? Like it's Al. Al. Um, and I like him. I like his ridiculousness. I mean, I feel sorry for his wives and girlfriends and everything. But you know, I like him. I think he was an interesting BA. Um, and we kind of started talking about this earlier. Um, but with Phil, it seems like like a wasted potential. Mm-hmm. Like if he had the ability to do these experiments and make headway into like the cathode ray stuff or whatever, if he just would have, I don't know, adapted with the time or at least been willing to listen to new, like I don't understand scientists who are supposed to be about taking in information and like, using that information i don't understand scientists that are just like no i don't like this new information so i'm just going to stick with this old information and continue to base everything off this right like, don't... that's very much not science yeah so it feels like that's what phil did he was just like theoretical physics blah blah blah, blah, blah can't hear you and then got left behind mm-hmm. when maybe he could have been one of those people making important contributions but he was just too busy being petty and annoyed and racist uh and a nazi to make an actual like career out of it so i don't know yeah i don't i mean yeah well the brawl was petty and which was i mean instigated by him for sure but yeah um we'll never know what he could have accomplished because he decided to be a crazy racist Nazi. Right. Yeah. 
so yeah, I, and I agree with your assessment of Einstein. His legacy does speak for itself, despite the fact that he seems to be a womanizer, which we do not hear about in school, which I think would make science class vastly more interesting for the youth of America. Mm-hmm. I mean, but uh, in uh, the the man who's talked Einstein, the book that I read on page eighty nine, mm-hmm. they've got they've got this little thought about it that I really liked. Quote. Leonard's behavior toward Röntgen and later Einstein would follow him through history. Indeed, instead of being remembered for the genius of his science, his legacy is his misbegotten racial theories and how they negatively impacted the future of German science. Mm. His modern day Nobel biography notes, some of his discoveries were great ones and others were very important, but he claimed more for them than their true value. Although he was given many honors, he believed that he was disregarded and this probably explains why he attacked other physicists in many countries. Mm. So yeah, we've got, so the fallout here is that, well, there was literal fallout, nuclear fallout, because mm-hmm. Einstein came over to the United States and we got nuclear weapons and we all know how that turned out, is turning out. Yes. We're going to talk about that more in a later episode this uh, season, which is yeah. stressing me out, but because yeah. it's a lot of science, guys. Guys, it's a lot of science. <laughs> uh, but so, so, but that's Al, you know. Mm-hmm. But then we've got good science overshadowed by this racism, which mm-hmm. is sad. And it set German science itself back by decades, decades mm. and decades. They had to kind of play some serious catch up. Mm. Then you had the exodus of all of these good scientists from Germany, and that changed the world. It wasn't just Al who left and came to the United States. Mm-hmm. If you'll recall, another BA that we talked about went over to England and mm-hmm. dealt with people who had spinal cord injuries. Right. So the, just just in our own little podcast, right. we've mentioned two people who were who left and did great things in other countries as a direct result of Hitler and his final solution. So you right. Know, so you can't you can't possibly overstate and and as I told you. Phil was behind the ousting of a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. He was the one of the ones who was making that happen. So it's difficult to overstate the fact that, oh, Phil, you changed the world of science and science in the world. Yeah. You know, it was it was at a really tremendous cost, though. So well, I mean, to to be honest, like his legacy is all this other stuff. To me, like, I never heard of this guy before, literally, until you're like, oh, here's who we're going to do for this brawl. And, like, some dude had a beef with Einstein. You're like, oh, yeah, totally. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to me, it's not even that he has this bad, like, when well, now I know about it because I studied him. But, like, he doesn't even have a legacy, really. I mean, that's not a name I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And you won't find him when you talk about cathode rays in, in chemistry. Yeah, I mean, which I've had to talk about these kinds of things. I've never heard his name mentioned. Nope. So, yeah. So, yeah. Don't be a racist, guys. <laughs> Don't be a Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do sources. Um. Okay. I use The Man Who Stalked Einstein, as you did, mm-hmm. uh, by... Hillman, Bruce Hillman and Earl Wagner and Wagner. Yeah. And then I used the Nobel Prize website for a couple things. I used a couple history mm. uh, 
com website or uh, pages like history or the history article of Einstein had no clue his lover was a suspected Russian spy. You know some of that. Um, so yeah, I mean I'll post them all, but yeah, mostly just for me it was biographical. But if I I could have done more with Einstein in terms of getting biographies, but it was going to be so much of the science and not as exciting stuff. So I just went hunting for tea related biography things. So no, I love it. I had the man who's talked to Einstein. Yes. And I also had a book called Einstein's opponents by Milena. Um, it's probably Wachek. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but it's, there's only two vowels and a lot of consonants in it. Yep. And she's, okay. I think Polish. So okay. I'm so sorry, Milena, but it was a lovely book and I did read it. And it was about not just Leonard, but other people who, uh, other experimentalists who were attacking relativity mm-hmm. at the time. Hmm. And yeah, just a whole bunch of random websites about the theory of photodynamic photoelectric effect and all that kind of thing there's a video that we'll post on our patreon for those of you who are on patreon if you're not go over it and look at it yeah it explains in a little bit more detail it's like a seven minute video but it has like pictures and diagrams where it breaks down quantum theory and photoelectric mm-hmm. effect and Planck's constant being mm-hmm. involved in all of that so um it made it very easy for me to relay that information to you so anyway those are my source highlights. All of them will be posted as Brenna said. So we got to tease next episode. I'll be honest. I wasn't feeling inspired. I don't really have like a good punny anything. I've got some, I, I think I'll have some but good. So far, you went so far as to find somebody else. So I don't know how you would have a pun yeah guys i don't i don't want to do this one i mean there it's it's a ba but like i just don't want to talk about it i don't know oh so so but which helps no one because now they're thinking oh gosh we're going to be talking about space but no that means it would be my science yeah no yeah i have to talk about science so it's a science that is not maybe my necessarily favorite thing to have to explain you for sure hate it it's an area that I find really fascinating except for it's complicated and also I don't know I don't know I'm not I'm not in love I'm not in love with this next episode but that's okay we'll see we'll see how it turns out we'll see I think it's gonna be good I'll do my best all right you'll learn something we'll all learn something (laughs) perfect I don't think I've got anything else for today, though. I don't. All right. Well, then, until next time, live dangerously, do science.